The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, I want to invite you to find your place in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and this morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 20, and I'm speaking on the subject, How's Your Heart? How's Your Heart? In the passage before us, Jesus uses a teaching device we call a parable to talk about the importance of a right heart disposition to the Lord. Jesus here promotes us having a healthy spiritual heart, a correct heart response to God and to his word. We read starting in verse 1, again he began to teach by the sea, and a very large, large crowd gathered around him. Now notice Mark's repetition here. He says that Jesus is again teaching. And he underscores the importance of the teaching of God's word in the Christian life. He wants his readers to know that once again, our Lord Jesus committed himself to reading, reciting, and explaining the scriptures. It is only through a regular focus on God's word that Christians will become spiritually strong. And with Jesus' teaching, there is Beatlemania-like activity. And once again, a very large crowd gathers around him before people even to get into Jesus' presence had had to cut a hole in the roof of a house. And here again, there's a large crowd gathering around him. He's unable to teach because they're pressing up against him. So he gets in a boat, verse 1, on the sea and sits down. He takes a little fishing vessel and gets out into the water to put some distance between him and the people to where he can teach unhindered by the crowd. The Bible says in verse 2, he taught them many things. Again, an emphasis on, hey, there's a lot of content to this teaching. Jesus is taking time to explain truth. He taught them many things in parables. The word parable here is a Greek word for this teaching vice, and it literally means to place beside. It depicts the way in which Jesus used this teaching method that involved a comparison, lining up a story alongside truth in order to make a point. And Mark continues, he said, he taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, look at verse 3, listen Listen, exclamation mark, listen. Some would say that Jesus there is giving the title for this teaching session because the whole session is focused on the importance of giving ear to God's word. So he starts with the word listen, and he says, consider the sower who went out to sow. Now, the sower here is not a seamstress who sews fabric together. This is a person who sows or spreads or scatters seed. And in this parable, we learn later, look at verse 14 of the same chapter, that the sower sows the word. So again, this is a story, an object lesson, a metaphor, if you will, placed alongside a parable and 
It involves a sower who sows seed. The sower represents a person who scatters the word of God. The sower is a person who announces, proclaims, teaches, or preaches the word of God. And the seed is the truth of God's word. And Jesus tells us in verse 4, as the sower sowed, some seed fell. We're going to see in this parable that the seed falls on different types of surfaces, different types of soils. These different types of surfaces represent different heart responses to God's word. This entire story is designed to remind us of our need for the proper heart response to the truth of God's word. How's your heart. Now we know in our physical lives that heart health is important, right? Uh, not long ago, I ate something that disagreed with me violently. My stomach began to hurt really bad up here. I told Laura, she was up at my office, and I said, let's go to the hospital. My chest is hurting really bad. In fact, I think the real story went, I told her my chest was hurting really bad. And she said, let's go to the hospital. And over time, she convinced me to go to the hospital. But just to let you know, if you go into an emergency room saying it hurts and doing this, they're going to take your condition seriously. So I got all these tests come to find out I just needed some Tums, right? <laughs> they were afraid it was my heart. And it was the carne asada. Okay. <laughs> we know that heart health is important. Physically. Did you know this? The Bible uses this word heart over and over again to speak about a non-physical part of your nature. I remember discipling a guy not long ago. He's a doctor, a medical doctor, and we came upon this subject, and he said, I just don't understand. What's the Bible talking about when it talks about your heart? All he could think about was human anatomy. But the Bible uses this object as a representation for a part of your nature that makes you different than the animal kingdom. See, according to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, God made you in his image. And that means you have been made to have a relationship with God. And as a result, you're not just a physical being, you are a spiritual being. You have a soul, and it is with that soul that you relate to God. The Bible uses this word heart to speak of that part of our nature, that part of our being that relates to God. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 15, 19 and in many other passages. And we're taught in Proverbs 4, 23 that we should guard our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So I ask you this morning, how's your spiritual heart? How are you doing spiritually? Do you have a right heart connection with God? Is your heart receptive to his word? Is your heart growing in Christian virtue? Is your, is your heart full of the joy and the peace and the abundance that Christ brings? Notice that we need the right heart response to God's word. The question we face is how? And I believe here Jesus gives us some instructions by 
describing four different types of spiritual hearts people can have. Number one, he speaks of what I would call a blind heart. Everybody say that word blind. And Jesus warns that some people have a blind heart. In verse number four, he says, as he sowed, speaking of the sower, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. So this first sower is going out into a field or to a garden and he's spreading his seed, hoping to see a harvest. And some seed inadvertently, kind of accidentally, lands on a path, a footpath, a section of ground that was worn out from foot traffic. Now once this seed fell on that path because there was no cover from grass or from other vegetation, the seed on the path was easily visible to birds, and the birds came and devoured it. They didn't just eat it, they ate it up, they devoured it. The original language of your Bible uses a perfect tense verb that means they ate it up completely. There is no hope of this seed ever going back into the ground and producing fruit. It is gone and it will produce no result. This is an occasion in which a seed never has a chance to germinate or grow. Now, I can remember when Laura and I bought our first house. It was a new build. The builders had scraped the lot. We had nothing but Georgia red clay there. And I needed to get some grass growing. And now, throughout my life as a pastor, many, I've, I've told someone recently, I'm thankful that I've had a lot of mentors as a pastor, whenever I need to do a repair in my home or whenever I need to do something in the yard, it seems like there's usually a man in the church or someone who can give me advice. And I remember going and asking some men, how do I get uh, grass growing? And they told me to pick out a variety of different seeds and wanted a good mix of grass and then uh, maybe m plant it, move around the dirt, might need to add some topsoil. And then I remember getting this piece of advice. One, one man told me, go get you some Bermuda hay. It'll have some seeds still in it, but after you get your seed in the ground, cover the ground with that Bermuda hay. He said, that'll do a few things. Number one, it will help lock moisture into the ground. Number two, it will protect uh, the new growth from the, the sun. And then third, it will uh, hide the seed from the birds. Now, I don't know if all that's true. I just did what this man said, and I ended up getting some grass. I remember when we moved to uh, Oklahoma, I needed to grow some grass as well. Apparently, that wasn't the practice out there. And I remember going in a bit, getting my Bermuda hay and spreading it over the lawn. And my neighbor asked, what in the world are you doing? I said, Willie Knight. And Cedartown, Georgia told me to do this. And it gets grass for me every time. I'm not an expert. I'm just following what he said to do. But Willie told me, the birds will see the seed and eat it here in Jesus' parable. I guess Willie had read the Bible. Jesus says when the seed falls on the path, the, the, the birds will see it and they will devour it. And it will never bring forth fruit. Jesus here referenced an occasion in which the preaching of the gospel, the reading of God's word, the sermon, the teaching of scripture has little to no or really no impact on the hearer. He depicts an occasion in which the hearing of God's word goes in one ear and out the other. He depicts someone sitting through a su Sunday sermon and the word of God goes like water off a duck's back. The listener hears casually. 
and dismisses the message and never brings forth spiritual fruit. There's no lasting impression. I remember sharing the gospel with a soldier in Oklahoma a few years back, and I remember explaining the gospel, and he kind of smirked and casually shrugged his shoulders and said, okay. Casually dismissed the message. And here Jesus warns that we can do something similar. Here Jesus warns about a person who never comes to Christ, who is never born again, who never brings forth any spiritual fruit because he or she does not take the word of God seriously. So ask us this morning, how's our heart? How's your heart? How's your spiritual heart? Get this, only one of these four soils is a born-again believer, but I believe there's application for believers in all four. Could it be this morning that there's some of us who aren't careful to listen to God's word? We let it go in one ear and out the other. Have you sat through sermons and Sunday school lessons where you haven't eagerly applied God's word? Do you regularly take the word of God seriously and personally seek to change when it calls you to change? Do you regularly read your Bible Allow God to speak to you. Be careful that you are not a blind and deaf hearer. Be careful that you take the word of God seriously. Number two, we see, first of all, a blind heart. Number two, we see what I would call a comfortable heart. A comfortable heart. Are you all comfortable this morning? All right, don't get too comfortable. Jesus here warns us about a comfortable spiritual heart. He says in verse number five, other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep, but when the sun came up, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Jesus here speaks of rocky ground. Fields in first century Canaan were notorious for stones and rocks and pebbles Jesus here speaks using a, a, a scenario. He speaks of a scenario that his first century readers were undoubtedly well aware of. He speaks of how the sower sows seed in rocky ground and the seed germinates and a plant starts to grow, but it dies shortly thereafter because it is unable to establish a root system. It doesn't have the strength it needs, that's not able to draw water and minerals from the dirt as it needs. And when the sun comes, it scorches the plant and leads it to die. At our current house, we have the same situation we had when we moved to our house in Cedartown. And in our backyard, there's some Bermuda, but beyond that, it's red dirt. The builder planted some grass there. There's a lot of rocks in that dirt. And I could take you this morning to the portion that has the most rocks and that ground is nearly bare. As the hot water is, as the hot weather has hit, that grass has died. And Jesus uses this as a picture to describe people who are many times impressed by the gospel. They're impressed by Bible teaching. They like the concept of God and they love the idea that God is love. But when tough things come in life, they fade away. 
Jesus explains, look in verses 16 and 17, later in the parable, he says, others are like seed seed sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Now, all first three forms of soil represent people who are not truly born again. And here, this soil represents a person who at first seems to make a profession of faith. They seem to become a Christian with joy. That They like parts of the gospel message. And they give credence to Christ and even perhaps seem to begin to follow him. But then persecution and distress comes and Jesus says they fall away. He uses a Greek word, scandalizo. You hear that word, it has the word scandal in it. And here it speaks of a person being scandalized by Jesus. They fall away, they stumble, or another translation would be, they're offended. Why are they offended? Well, I thought I was following Jesus. I thought he was going to make my life better. I thought he would give me what I want. How could he allow this to happen in my life? They become offended, and they turn away from Jesus, and any apparent fruit that they did have withers and dies. This is what I would call a comfortable heart. And this type of heart is present in 21st century American Christianity. Many people come to Jesus for what they can get out of Jesus. Go make my life better. Go make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. And then they become scandalized by Jesus. Later, when things don't pay off or pan out, they like the idea of a loving kind savior but when they learned that Jesus said things like this if anyone wants to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me when they learn of things like that they think I don't know if I signed up for that they like the good things of the gospel but they don't like the ideas of suffering for Jesus self-denial or sanctification from sin see there's many and 21st century American Christianity who give an appearance of Christian and truth be told they want prosperity without pain they want personal advancement without prayer they want success without sacrificial service they want wealth without true heart worship they want happiness without hardship they want the rose without the thorns but remember the way of Jesus remember the way of the cross have to be on guard. How's your heart? If you're always looking for the easy ride, if you're looking to Jesus to make your life better, you may not have much spiritual fruit. Be careful that you aren't coming to Jesus. Be careful that you are coming to Jesus with a heart that is set on receiving what he says as truth and obeying and applying his full teaching to your life. Be careful when things get tough that you don't become hardened to the word of God. And be careful this morning that you're not one who's represented by this type of soil. Perhaps you're here and you're hearing the gospel message and you like certain ideas, you like the idea of a loving God, but you're kind of scoffing at the idea of sin and a savior who would die for sin. Hear the full message 
And don't allow distress. Don't allow persecution to choke out the word of God in your life. A blind heart, a comfortable heart. Number three this morning, we see what I would call a distracted heart. Oh, we've got to be so careful in life that we're not distracted sometime. We were driving back from Florida this past week and I thought for just a second, I can look down in my phone and type in what type of restaurants do they have in such and such city? And as I started to type the word what, I swerved on the road and Laura let me know about it. Be safe, be careful. Distraction can get us, right? Uh, the same thing can happen in a spiritual sense. Verse number seven, Jesus says, other seed fell among thorns and thorns came up and choked it and it didn't produce fruit. Farmers in Jesus' day were well accustomed with battling thorns. They were seen as a common pestilence and they often strangled crops so a, a farmer would have to keep a close eye on the growth around his crops. And here Jesus uh, speaks of this scenario he talks about the way in which here a seed germinates and produces a plant, but in time, however, the plant is choked and killed by weeds and thorns, therefore it never gives forth real fruit. And Jesus gave the meaning of this path, or excuse me, this seed and this soil in verses 18 and 19. He said, others, look there, he said, others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Notice three things Jesus warns about here. Three things that can distract you from consuming the word of God and allowing it to transform your life. Number one, the worries of this age. The word age speaks of a generation, an epoch. It was the time in which his disciples were living. Now we live in a different age, but it remains the same. There are plenty of worries in this generation or in this age. Amen? Amen. It's interesting, this word worries is not a negative word in the Greek as it is in our language. In fact, I love the way the King James Version translates it in Philippians 4, 6. It says, be careful for nothing. Now, I remember reading that old King James Version. I thought, being careful is a good thing, right? I mean, growing up, my parents would tell me to be careful, almost to the point it would get on my nerves still to this day if I call my dad, dad, and he'll ask, what are you doing? We're driving down to the beach. Be careful. It's like I'm 41 years old. When do I have to quit hearing that? Then I get down to the beach, and Will says, I'm going out to the water. I say, be careful. Being careful is a good thing, right? I love how the Greeks had one word to speak of careful and worry. It reminds us that most worry starts out with good intentions. Most worry starts out with being careful. But worry is this condition where you've become overly careful, overly cautious, so careful that you've forgotten about God and his sovereignty, so careful that it has become life-dominating, unhealthy, and inordinate. 
And Jesus warns us as we live in this age, we're going to see confusion, we're going to see depravity, we're going to see wars, we're going to see economic fallout, we're going to see fallen society rebelling against God. And if we're not careful, we can allow that make a, to make us worry in an unhealthy sense. And when we get our eyes on all that, we start talking about all the answers everybody else has given, and we forget about the Word of God, we're in a bad place. The worries of this age, but number two, he speaks about the deceitfulness of wealth. Now, that's interesting. Wealth is just an object, right? How could it deceive me? Oh, Jesus here reminds us that money and material things, if we're not careful, have a way of seducing people. The pursuit of prosperity blinds people to heavenly realities and to their need of God. Material things can dupe people into thinking that they, material things, can actually make them happy. I remember growing up, all I wanted was a ping pong table for a couple of years. If I get a ping pong table, I'll be happy. Life will be perfect. My entire course of existence will be on a trajectory towards good things. Never have any more problems in life if I get a ping pong table. The nanny, my grandmother, bought me a ping pong table. Life was pretty cool for about 24 hours, and I realized, oh, it's about normal. Ping pong table wasn't the answer I was looking for. Now, I was a kid wanting a ping pong table, but guess what? Adults, some adults are falling for that same trap today. If we get that upgrade on that car or that house or that raise or that promotion, we'll be happy. Hear the words of Jesus. Riches are deceitful. They can choke the word of God out of your life. Then he speaks about, thirdly, the desires for other things. And I love just the general way Jesus says that. He leaves it wide open. There's all types of things that can get you distracted from God's word. Be careful. How's your heart if you're not on guard the stuff of this world? The deceitfulness of riches, the worries of this age, the desires for other things can be like a vine that chokes out and kills a plant. Be on guard. How's your heart? Is it growing in its love for the Lord or is it being overrun by the stuff and the smut of this world? Are you so focused on what's going on in the world that you're not staying mindful of the sovereignty and love of God? Are you so desirous on the inside for more stuff that the word of God isn't able to take root and grow fruit? A comfortable heart. Lastly, I want you to see one last heart condition, and Jesus speaks of this in verses 8 and 20. He speaks of what we would call a good heart or a healthy heart. He says in verse 8, Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. This is the only soil that represents a born-again believer. I believe all the three, all the other the three other soils all have application for believers. Surely we can become blind or comfortable or distracted. Uh, but really the point of the parable is there's only one type of soil that represents a genuine believer. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus said, by your fruit, you will know them. If an individual never produces fruit, then they're not a genuine 
convert. According to Scripture, when one is born again, there will always be some sort of result, an outward demonstration. There will be a result that comes from their repentance. See, get this scriptural truth. True conversion includes a transformation of soul, mind, and external character. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. James said in James 2, 17, Faith without works is dead. Jesus here explains. He says in verse 20, Those like seed sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit. 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. I love this word welcome here. In the Greek, it speaks of one giving a hospitable reception to another. In its middle voice in the language, which speaks of an action you perform of your own initiative. You take personal responsibility to welcome another. So last weekend we had Levi's ninth birthday party and we invited his Sunday school class. He hasn't had a chance to make a lot of friends yet, but we invited his Sunday school class. And that Saturday morning we were cleaning the house and getting it ready and we normally don't do that on Saturday morning, right? You guys know what it's like. Maybe one evening you get home and you smell brownies baking and there's uh, candles in the uh, living room and the wife's preparing a nice meal. You thought, man, what's going on? I guess she's really putting on the dog for me this evening. And then you remember, we're having guests over. Those brownies aren't just for me. Right? No, that doesn't happen at your house. Okay. All right. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so when you're having somebody over, you prepare, right? You're ready to welcome that person. You pull out all the stops. You take the initiative, and Jesus uses a word here that speaks of a hospitable reception, and he uses a middle voice to remind us this is something we need to take ownership for. Jesus here shows the importance of people having a hospitable welcome to God's word. And he says, if we do this, it can lead to fruit. Look at verse 20, 30, 60, and 100 times. Now, we don't see this in original language because we're not first century Canaanite farmers. We don't know what type of yield they normally expected. But in Jesus' day, a Canaanite farmer would normally expect a seven or eight-fold return. Seven or eight. And here Jesus speaks of 30, 60, or 100. His original listeners probably laughed, like, whatever. Who gets that type of return? Hundredfold? Are you kidding me? Well, they likely got the point. Jesus was using exaggeration to drive home an important point when one is hospitable to God's word, when one humbles his or her heart and receives the truth of God and seeks to obey it and apply it to his or her life, one will see abundant fruit by the grace of God. Listen, church, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And if you will humble yourself, 
and open yourself up to receive it, it can do some powerful things in your life. It can tear down strongholds. It can heal your hurts. It can change those faulty mental schemas. It can transform you from the inside out. It can build up and bless your family. It can help you be the citizen and the worker you ought to be. It can shape you and change your conversation and change your thought patterns and help you to be a witness for Jesus in this world. The Word of God has the ability to do far more than we could ever imagine. And when we are hospitable to the Word of God, when we make our hearts good soils, we can see radical transformation. So how's your heart? Are you welcoming to the Word of God? Are you spending time in it each day, reading and studying it personally? Are you trying to personally apply to your life what God is teaching you? Have you repented of anything lately that the Word of God has convicted you of? Has the Bible changed you in the past year? What do the pages of your Bible look like? Are they still crisp and clean? Or are they wrinkly and worn? Are you taking notes and highlighting? Do you have friends with whom you discuss Scripture and what you're learning? Are you guilty of dismissing certain parts of Scripture? Do you have, do you have the habit of explaining away things you don't like? Make sure you're making your heart a home for God's Word. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.